From racing.com and top sport, this is a good three with Dr. Turf, Matt Welsh and Paul Tatnall. Hello and welcome to another edition of A Good Three. Matt Welsh, Dr. Turf, Paul Tatnall, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. Here we I go. I missed you guys last oh, week. Oh, really? I did. Yes, sir, I it's, did. it's lonely at the it top, Matt. It's the feeling mutual, though, Turf. Oh, well, that's the problem. Rod, you did an excellent job. We actually had a quiet discussion afterwards whether the big dog, as you are now known in racing no. circles, uh, would be welcome back. Well, uh, that, that, that is a good question. How is the new job going before we go into our special In all today? seriousness, uh, are you presented with problems? Do you, are you positive about uh, what we're doing? Look at Saturday. What an outstanding day of racing. Last the, Saturday. Uh, the great clashes, the might and power all right, it's coming all It's going all executive on us. Now, one thing I have noticed <laughs> is that the decisions being made around cancelling meetings earlier. I assume you are very passionate about that cause. Is that, is that your work? Is that your first footprint in racing? No, it's the work of the team. Nothing, oh. nothing. Absolutely, yeah. I will right. hand on heart. It has absolutely no, 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 nothing. Let me to say do what it is. It, it's proactive. It is, is what it is. And it, I, it's I, leadership I, turf. I made this point on the weekend uh, on Aaron RFN that they dug themselves a hole. New South Wales on the weekend. They dug themselves a, a hole. They weren't proactive. They weren't brave. They weren't innovative. They knew that Armageddon was coming rain-wise at that Randwick track, which was a 10 before the weekend. To, but did you see any coverage on Sunday that was even a little bit critical of the decision of how they handled the meeting on Saturday? Well, why would you? Because it's the, incredible, the, the, it? the, it's I'm, incredible. I'm being honest here. The Sydney press and the Sydney racing media is controlled by racing in New South Wales. Mm. Uh, so whatever you think of the situation in Victoria, multiply it by 10 in New South Wales. Because well, there's still room for debate and, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion, even in the stewards' parts of Victoria, they couldn't believe uh, they were still racing so far into the day. And it's not just a spectacle issue, it's an equine welfare issue, I would have thought. Why didn't they run the feature races, races one, two, three, four, five? Well, they've never done that though, have they? Well, what was the problem with, with doing that? Why would, you, why would you run highways and midways? You, you know, you knew what was going to come. They just had to... What's the matter with running race seven as race one? Were the concerns leading into Saturday about how the Everest is going to the premier sprint race? Oh, I'm not going to say in the country because I'll get in trouble. But one of the best sprint races in the world. There have to be concerns around how that's going to play on Saturday, considering the state of the track. Well, I think they've got five days of dry weather, so haven't they? They've six got days great so weather this week. So, seven, so, so they Saturday. are they are blessed with that. Anyway. That's Sydney, who cares? Let's talk about that Caulfield meeting last Saturday, which was just spectacular. a great meeting on a spectacularly good racing surface, given we'd had some pretty ordinary weather leading up to it. And when I walked the track on Friday, I thought, this is just fantastic. So what do you put that down to? I spoke to someone on Saturday and they said the lack of training helps at Caulfield. They can water the track anytime they like. They can treat it when they like. But it really, for a track nearing the end of its lifespan, it is in that it's racing in a really, really good way. I think way. the way that, way that uh, like, don't underestimate a little bit of sunlight, and that's mm-hmm. what happened all winter. It wasn't the coldest or wettest winter on record, it but, but winter. it was a gloomy winter. There was not much sunlight, and the track bounced back from that meeting a fortnight ago, running those horrible conditions to a pristine surface last week. You and I walk, Corfield, you walk it a lot more than me, Turf, with your two little dogs. Uh, I think that the track is in as good order as I've seen it in the time that I've been walking it over you know, eight, ten years. But it's yeah. only got months left. It's ripped up yeah, in yeah, that's right. six weeks. Well, I think they'll, they'll use the same philosophies, though, that they have when, when it comes back in. I think not having the training there is certainly mm. one positive. But that track coming into spring, out of winter, was, mm. was in outstanding shape and it's held together right the way through. It'll be interesting. We're, we're recording on Wednesday morning. 
it's heaving down outside. The thousand guineas meeting is going to be impacted on the Wednesday. Hopefully it's not raining throughout the meeting, but interesting to see what impact that has along with well, the rain on Thursday heading into the Caulfield Cup on Saturday. Yeah, I think you'll be uh, getting to uh, Caulfield by arc on the weekend, given what – well, mind you, this is only the Weather Bureau, who, who pound for pound, maybe, maybe, maybe the worst tipsters – in the world. With all the analysis ding, ding. and data He's done it again. they have as well. Before we move on to our special guest who, to be frank, knows the Caulfield track a lot better than the rest of us. I think he probably does. We'll explain that later on. Animo Turf, spectacular win on Saturday. Can anyone beat him come Cox Plate? 100%. Of course they can. Let me just and describe that um, might and power race last Saturday. That, that was a real horse race, wasn't oh. it? I mean, that was just a horse race. It was a great contest between great jockeys and great horses. They've installed him as a pretty short favourite in, in the um, Cox Plate. I, I put this to you. I mean, I mean I'm thunderstruck. Sort of ridden contrary to his normal racing pattern. He was tough. He was brave. Mm. He was still there. I mean, he wasn't drawing away from Animo. Let's, the scenario is, what happens if Animo draws 11 in the Cox Plate? Yeah. yeah you know, he I got mean, a beautiful to, run. To be copping 260 about him or whatever is, is, is absurd. And the Valley's also been playing, how do we put it, Matthew? I know we've got to be careful with your position. On pace. <laughs> On pace. Well, uh, well said. Well, it's it's then, a short home straight, so naturally it's going to lean itself what, what to, if, to horses closer to the If Alligator state. draws a, a, an alley where he can have the – he's a horse that you know, lugs all the time, doesn't yeah. he? What have been, if he's got a running rail next to him for once – yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not potting Animo for one second. I'm just potting the price. But yeah. anyway, we'll worry about that. But in it's, it, it does shape. We don't have any, uh, you know, uh, the international presence we've had in recent years. But it does shape as a, a really intriguing cox bite. Like I said that that horse um, from overseas that worked uh, yesterday with, with Ollie, he looks like a pretty handy horse. Actually, he, he worked. I, I like the look of his work. You're a track work expert. Now. No, no, I just look at the vision. I thought you only got out of bed at that time of the morning to play golf. I just looked at the vision. This time of the year, I, I'm, I'll, I'll take one for the team and set the alarm. All right. Well, you preempted our special guest, and uh, I've just learnt that our special guest is also a King Island native. I went down and played golf there I, a I couple of weeks did. ago, Turfy, one of the uh, the great parts of the world. But Stuart McSween, you do a lot of running at Caulfield. I think you know every blade of grass there. How would you go in a 2,400-metre Caulfield Cup, do you think? What sort of time would you be able to post? Yeah, firstly, thanks for having me on, guys. Welcome, Stewie. Um, Olympian, Stewie. It's good to be here. But, um, yeah, I don't know, for 2400, maybe anywhere around maybe 5 minutes 30. So a little a little bit, <laughs> maybe 540, so a little bit slower than the horses, unfortunately. But, um, yeah. Hey, well, hold on, Turf, Turfy. Yeah. What would you do 2400 in? Uh, you know, if I started on Thursday, Arvo, I reckon I'd get there by... Um, Stumps on Sunday. Hey, Stewie, um, you know every blade of grass at Caulfield. Do you think that the inside is holding up really well this spring? Are you staggered at how well it's held up? To be fair, I think the track's in amazing nick. I think this is probably the, one of the years that's been in the best condition. The, the track staff there have done an amazing job. Why do you um, like running there? It's a matter of interest. It's just such a good surface. Um, and for us, it's low impact. Obviously, the grass is always in good nick um, pretty much most of the year round. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the... The ground stuff keep the divots pretty minimal, so uh, makes it nice when you're running. Obviously, you don't want too much up and downs when you're when you're out there every week training. Actually, there's a, there's a sign there. People who walk the track will know that saying joggers keep to the outside. Where, where do you uh, run? So we actually do keep to the outside generally. Um, obviously, it depends if there's 
the the public's walking around with the dogs and stuff. We try and yeah. try and avoid them because they generally stay on the outside track as well. Um, but Dodge the pyramids. Yeah, we kind of want to keep a good relationship with the the track staff there, so we try and um, follow follow the rules pretty much. Tell us about um, growing up on King Island because we've played golf down there. It's, oh, I don't want to be. There's not a great. <laughs> There's not a stack of things to do down in King Island. What was it like for a young fellow growing up on King Island, where they have one race meeting a year, don't they? Yeah, so the, oh, they've got a couple actually. Couple? The, the big one's Boxing Day, but they've got kind of like that two week period where they have a, a few horse races, which is um, not quite as fancy as here where you suit up or whatever. You kind of you see a lot of guys wearing hoodies, thongs, um, but amazing atmosphere down there anyway. But yeah, King Island as a whole is an amazing place. I think it's probably, I'm not just saying it because I'm from there, but I think it could be one of the most underrated places in Australia. Just uh, the beaches are amazing. The air's the cleanest out of anywhere I've been in the world. It's the cleanest air down there. Um, and yeah, just, a, just an awesome place to grow up, really. Where did you do your run? on King Island? So unfortunately my family has a farm down there so um, yeah I would train on the farm I think it's pretty almost 20 probably if I run perimeter it's 18 or 19 kilometres so almost 20k round so I do a lot there um, and we've got a, actually a, a four lane grass track at the, the high school there as well so I'd be jumping on that a fair bit as well so um, yeah as I said Luckily, not too many hills down there, but the air's so clean. It's um, probably the, not one of the nicest places I'll run wherever I, go, I travel around the world for races or training. Now, Stu, we spoke this morning that we joked, did you have a run this morning? You said you had a jog, <laughs> and you said about 17K, and you did it in the time that it took me to drive from South Melbourne here to... Uh, Hang on. To Paran. He, he, he jogged, jogged 17K this morning. Can you imagine what that must be like? Now, no, clearly... Not really? No. No, no, clearly not. Now, talk us through your week of training to me 17k is about a week's worth of running but roger our producer he kind of does a bit of a scoff as well but talk me through your week of training how many k's you put into your legs yeah so generally obviously time of year it depends but in season we'll be running anywhere from like yeah 150 160 kilometers a week generally twice a day um except sundays um and then we have to do little things as well like the the recovery the gym the um which obviously I'm not great at. I'm a pretty skinny guy, so um, unfortunately not too good in the gym. But yeah, the the physio, Cairo for alignment. If you if you sore or banged up, so um, luckily I'm I'm just an online uni student as well, so I can just put everything into running. I don't have to go to a nine to five job, which makes it a, a little bit easier to fit all the training in. I'm going to ask a such things a silly question, uh, despite it being on this podcast. Do you enjoy running? I watch the Olympians and it's they're stuffed. I see the training that you guys put in. It's a good question. It, 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 it looks like <laughs> hell. Do you actually enjoy going out for a run? Yeah, I think uh, probably training you don't enjoy as much. I think any athlete, you prefer the competition size. So um, the competitions where you enjoy, you kind of put up with doing the training purely because you want to get to that point where you can um, obviously perform in races. So... I think it, for us it all becomes worthwhile when you get to the opportunity to wear the Australian Guernsey. I think those cold mornings, those weeks on weeks without without racing, just putting in training for no real reward really um, becomes worth it when you get to that point where you get to um, kind of race and show all the hard work you've been doing behind closed doors. There's a famous movie in the English movie, in, in a book actually, a movie starring Richard Harris called The Loneliness of a Long Distance Runner. Is it lonely? Uh, I actually don't find it too lonely. I think fortunately, because I do mainly the 1500 5K, I'm not out there doing two and a half hour long runs or whatever. So like some of the marathon guys do. So You're a 10K runner as well, aren't you? Uh, I do do the 10K, but um, I think you prefer doing the shorter ones if you can. They're over a little bit quicker, which is um, kind of a little bit nicer than 25 laps around the tracks for the 10K um, is a pretty, pretty long way. What's the Olympic experience like? I mean, we read a lot, see a lot of stories. Obviously competing is fantastic, but that whole experience, being in the village, being over there representing your country, what is is that like when you're actually living it? 
Yeah, I think obviously it's a childhood dream for any athlete growing up to not only represent Australia, but maybe one day get to Olympics. But it's kind of weird now, sport. It's the every four years, it's a, just a massive thing with the Olympics, um, and just the amount of support, the build up is just massive compared to any other race um, or any other season. You have just so many more people interested, um, and just how many messages or even like the media that follows the the people they think have a good. A, a relatively good chance to try and medal is um crazy compared to other years. So I think out of any year, it's definitely the most high pressure, but probably the most enjoyable as well. And we see in horse racing, you know, jockeys trying to pace horses early in races. They generally keep them in their comfort zone, and then they're obviously you know asked to make a move at some point in the race, and and then really under exertion late. Is it is it similar in a five thousand meter race, for example? Are you pacing yourself early? How do you go about planning for a race and then executing on it? Yeah, I think it would be pretty close to the same as horse racing. Obviously, you've got to judge your, your effort. If you're going too hard early stages, you're probably not going to finish strong. If you go too hard during the middle, you're going to struggle when the kick down in the race comes as well. So similar to horse racing, you kind of got to judge that effort to make sure that last, probably that last K or even under year, um, you're able to try and um, close pretty hard and give yourself the best chance of trying to win the race. So you've got a, a great relationship with uh, Kipchoge, He's probably the most famous long-distance runner of all time. Did he just not break the world marathon record recently? So yeah, he um, he ran two hundred one. So broke I think by forty seconds, he broke his own world record, which is um, not a bad way to do it. Wasn't he trying to um, not organise something, but try and break the two hour record by having pacemakers? Were we were invited to be one of them in, in Kenya. Yeah, so he actually did break the two hours um, back in Austria. So there was a 5K loop where he ran 159.50. 130,000 people packed around a 5K wow. loop to see him do it. Um, and he assembled 30 paces from across the world. So I was lucky enough to be one of the paces. Um, and we were doing 5K segments um, throughout the, the race. Um, and yeah, obviously breaking the two-hour mark. Some I probably didn't think I would see in my lifetime. And then to be involved and see it live was um, yeah. How'd you special. meet him? Uh, just on the circuit, I've uh, got to know his manager and then I obviously got to know him and his coach pretty well as well. So um, an unbelievable guy. Um, so I've learned a lot off him, especially mentally, just how calm, um, how happy he is no matter the situation. Um, yeah, just a, it's kind of – I feel like in sport you miss meet special athletes and he's definitely one of them who uh, – there's no other athlete that I've met quite like him to this point. You've spoken about calmness there. As a viewer of athletics at home, mostly during the Olympics, we see – almost a perceived pressure, you one shot every four years. Do you feel that kind of pressure on the day or as a full-time athlete? Is it? I know it's not another race, but is it a extra bigger race, but you know that life goes on? Yeah, I think it is obviously a massive race. Um, we only have Olympics once every four years, but um, it's kind of weird. You get in a zone, so you obviously the days lean in, you're really nervous, and then once you're, once you're on the track, you kind of just switch on, like – uh, it's weird, like random things will go in your head. You're not even thinking about the pressure or the circumstances you're in. Um, and you kind of get to that point where you're at so fine-tuned with like your body and just so used to racing that you kind of, yeah, just locked in and the external factors don't really play too much of a role. You do a lot of running at Caulfield, but do you have an interest in horse racing outside of that? I do. So um, as I mentioned off off the podcast, I was kind of saying that I like horse racing purely because it's similar to, similar to running. Like um, obviously – it's cool watching the jockeys and horse compete, trying to beat each other. Um, and then obviously the tactics-wise as well is probably not too far off running as um, also. So, yeah, I do enjoy watching it. Um, and then obviously getting down trackside I love as well. Um, the social and the atmosphere is, um, yeah, pretty cool. And you got what a horse it? named after you in Tasmania? Tell yeah, so I, I am lucky to have a horse named after me who races in the Tassie, um, the Tassie Racing Circuit. So I think it's had nine starts and 
I think two wins for five podiums as well. Oh, so okay. um, podiums, I like that. Yeah, it's top three. So it's um, yeah, it's doing all right. That's kind of if it's racing, I'll make sure I definitely tune in. Obviously, it's not some of the races. It's not quite in the big races yet, so it's harder to find the streams. But if I can find one, I'll be watching it. And not only a horse, you, you've had a Palmer named after you as well, haven't you? I did. So at the Kiana local pub, they were kind of for the. The heat, the semi, and the final in Tokyo, they kind of would get the whole community. I think there was a couple hundred people just jammed in the, the main um, the main street pub. Um, and, yeah, had a palmer, had a drink. Um, so, yeah, it was – I think they even had a camera crew down there for Channel 7 just filming, filming the atmosphere. So, um, yeah, you definitely feel that support. Um, definitely for my Tokyo experience, I felt felt a support not only from King Island but across the nation as well. So you got the – you got the correct me if I'm wrong, which I probably have. You got the 1,500-metre Australian record, the 3K Australian record. Do you need to get the 5K record to sort of complete the set, do you? Is that next? Is that yeah. Craig, is that Craig Mottram's who, – who holds that? So Craig Mottram's got the 5K record at 12.55.7. Um, unfortunately, I ran 12.56.2 this year, so oh. I met, missed it by 500 <laughs> to a second. Um, and I was – unfortunately, didn't run a good last lap either. I kind of got a pretty tired. It was a hot night in Belgium. So um, that'd be the next one I'd like to tick off. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. It's a pretty strong record. Yeah, those hot nights in Belgium, that's <laughs> – they are what would you do in the hot nights in Belgium, I look at athletes who have to sacrifice so much for their careers, and often when they stop, they love to either party or have their uh, things they like to do outside of racing. They usually go pretty hard in that respect. Do you have something outside of your sport that you just love, whether it's going out with your mates or outdoor activities? Is there something that makes you tick outside of your sport? Yeah, I think all athletes in season, you're kind of making a few sacrifices. You're probably not going out much. You're missing a lot of the social stuff that you normally would do. So this, so I'm actually in off season at the moment. So this kind of year, the next couple of months or months or two, um, is where you catch up with your mates. You get to go out. You get to go to all the social events, the horse racing, um, and do all the things you don't get to do. So this is uh, for me the funnest part of the year. Um, and then. After a month or two, you're kind of ready to get back training and trying to focus on the next season. What was COVID like for you as a runner? How was your career impacted? Were you still able to compete on a regular basis? What were you What were you confined to during COVID? Yeah, so obviously it was tough, um, especially that first year travel-wise. Just going in and out of countries was um, a lot more difficult. Um, for the two seasons, we had to do quarantine coming home. So we'd spend, come back, banged up, tired from the season, then have to pay to stay in a hotel for two weeks, which is um, when you feel like you're back in your country, but technically you're not, um, was obviously a tough way to finish your season. And then, um, so I think that that made it obviously not only physical, but mentally hard as well, because you'd miss two weeks of building back into training um, as well. So yeah, I think it was tough, but I think all athletes, you get pretty good at adapting and trying to um, move forward no matter the situation. Did you not um, have some heart issue uh, that may have been related to COVID? So early this year, I was actually pretty sick. So the first couple of races, I battled pretty hard. Um, unfortunately, I, I may have got the booster too close to having COVID. Um, I'm not sure of the exact cause, um, but I was meant to race World Indoors in Serbia in March and I kind of, yeah, um, had to rush to get everything done and kind of got a little bit crook. So I was battling for the first part. So we have a Diamond League circuit, which is the main races, and I probably missed the first two or three. I was pretty ordinary form, struggling a lot, but was able to turn it around and find my health, which is good. Hey, so when you – we see the Diamond League on um, on Foxtel here uh, during the European summer. When you're competing in the Diamond League, who are you in awe of? Which particular uh, discipline watching these world – stars of the uh, of track and field who's who's the one that gets you when you watch that person compete i think uh, event wise i'd say the hundred just the good the amount of swag you see the guys have um just the just the yeah they've always have their big like their crews their posses around them at the warm-up tracks um but 
for me, it was probably the the starstruck moments back when Usain Bolt used to run, seeing him on the warm up track, and just how big the, and packed the crowds were if he was racing, and just the atmosphere when he was racing. It was always terrible being the race after Usain's because people would flood in for his race. <laughs> Um, and then obviously he would race, they'd be celebrating on the track. Your race would be next or the one after and people would start leaving. Because once Usain Bolt's done, they're just like, no, nah, I don't want to watch a distance race or whatever. So it would suck for us, but to be there, um, if you were the race before, it would be awesome because you'd be in the media zone watching yeah. track side. Mm-hmm. So um, to have a guy like that in the sport was, um, yeah, something I definitely it, won't forget. It does remind me that uh, he came within a metre in the mounting yard at Flemington. I don't know whether it was Oaks Day or Cup Day one year. He went within a metre of being kicked by a horse. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but he was there. Yeah. He was there with that, uh, was it John Stephenson? I reckon, um, was he mates with him? And they were in the mounting yard, and they were walking around in the middle of the mounting yard during a horse's parading before a race. And a horse kicked out from behind and... Didn't miss him by that much. And Imagine uh, his career had been ended in the Flemington. <laughs> Flemington un- seriously, it was unbelievable at the time. Is you interested in how you got into running? Because it's a sport that I imagine, well, you've explained it, requires enormous amount of dedication. So how did you get into it in the first place? And when did you decide, gee, I want to make a career out of this? Um, yeah, I think like most kids, I kind of played all different sports, footy, tennis, whatever. But I think where, um, where I started was I was playing, I think, under 14s footy. Um, and I was a small kid. I was getting knocked about. I was no good anyway. And then my, my PE coach on King on the stage was like, you're pretty good at running around the field. You don't have much hand-eye coordination. You're not good at kicking the ball. <laughs> you're coming off the bench most weeks. Like, I think you might be a runner. Like, and then obviously he started coaching me. I started training a little bit um, and kind of went from there. Like my first race, I think I actually won. So that was a, maybe I am not too bad at this. Um, and then, yeah, over the years just progressed from there um, until I got to a point where I thought, I was hopefully good enough to start making Australian Open teams and it was that point, do I go to uni um, full-time or do I try and see if I can get good at running and I kind of was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give running a crack. Do you have a goal in mind? You know, we're talking in the depths of spring racing at the moment, everyone's trying to win their Group 1 or their Cup. What's your ultimate goal? What's your thing that you idolise in those hard, cold mornings you think, I want to win that or I want to get that? Um, I think I'd love, obviously, Paris Olympics is only 20 months away. I think for me, the Olympics is the, the big one we look up to. I would... Um, Obviously, I'd love to win. It's not easy to do, but if I could win a medal in Paris, that would kind of make all the hard years worth it. Obviously, I was close in Tokyo and didn't quite get there. Um, In the final? Yeah, so I was actually third going at the bell lap in Tokyo. So I thought I was in a good position, but ran out of legs on that last lap. So um, hopefully I can run a stronger last lap in Paris um, and win a medal for Australia. That would be huge. Obviously, not only for me, but I think it's your family, your friends who put in a lot of effort and time for you as well, um, that'd be a huge reward. So that's that's the next big goal. Are you the first Olympian to come from King Island? I am. Um, unfortunately, there's not not too many um, too many runners or anything down on King Island. It's kind of a pretty small community. So um, to get to get the title's first Olympic Olympian was pretty cool. Stuart, it's fantastic. Um, we've really enjoyed having a chat with you today, and uh, looking forward to uh, the Caulfield Cup on Saturday because you are an ambassador for uh, the Melbourne Racing Club for the Caulfield Cup. Yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to Caulfield. Um, it's such a great atmosphere down there, trackside. Looking forward to the races. Hopefully the weather holds up, but, um, yeah, I'm 100% excited for this Saturday. All right, Stu, thanks very much for joining us. Fascinating insight into your career. Best of luck uh, in your pursuits towards Paris. Uh, hopefully you're on uh, the winner's dais over there, and uh, we wish you all the best. Look forward to seeing you running around Caulfield. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Cheers. Having a bet on the racing this week? 
Top this. With Top Sport's best of the best multis, top odds are guaranteed. Place a best of the best multi during Saturday Metro meetings for the top flux or dividend from the best three national totes. Plus, there's best of the best to win up to five grand too. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport, feel the excitement. Don't let the game play, you stay in control. Gamble responsibly. A look from the book. Presented by Top Sport. It's time now to have a chat to Tristan Merlihan from Top Sport. Tristan, it's a great time of year. I imagine it's a great time, an exciting time of year to be a bookie. Yeah, it's, it's a great time of year, as you say. We've got a huge weekend coming up. We've got a really good day of when, uh, racing on Wednesday as well. So it's uh, yeah, a big, big week, a big month of racing coming up. So really excited to see what happens. Tristan, are you okay? Some of the horses that you suggested last week on the Good Three podcast, you may lay. I reckon every single one of them come Saturday got up. They did. They did. <laughs> uh, it certainly wasn't uh, the, uh, the, the, the the greatest uh, preview from our end. We uh, put our neck on the line with a couple of those shorties. And so the Golden Mile, Adamo, Pulele. I think Tristan was confident in all three that they were going to get rolled, and unfortunately... And they're all in trouble <laughs> at some stage were. of the race. Maybe not Golden Mile, which was just a peach of a ride. It's the only reason it won. I mean, it was just the perfect ride there. But um, they all looked – I mean, yeah, Animo looked in trouble. Paul Lilly looked in a little bit of trouble. What about the smack <laughs> over the head uh, that Paul Lilly copped about the furlong? Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I did, yeah. No, it was he an incredible like day for the Blue Army what as did, well. On the so. Blue Army, what did you think of James Cummings' hat on Saturday, Turf? Interesting. A very interesting hat. He, in fact, I imagine you'd have a fairly eclectic uh, hat collection from across the years. Oh no, not really. But I don't mind. You come in in your teeth. Yeah, one of the great things when you then. when you look at all the, the the footage of the old um, cups and all of that, and people, everybody's wearing hat as was the the way in the forties and fifties and before that. Something quite nice about blokes yeah. wearing hats, I reckon. I, reckon, I remember my dad, uh, he used to have about eight hats on his back dashboard in his car. Yeah. He'd uh, pick one off every time he went to an event or a sporting event or whatever it yeah. was. So. Back of the Bentley. No, it wasn't a Bentley, it was a Ford. So uh, anyway, we, we digressed a long way from bookmaking and racing. Let's get into the Caulfield Cup on Saturday, Tristan. Uh, it's time on it. It's an, an absolutely outstanding race. This year, all Australian, or all local horses, I should say, all locally trained horses. We don't have the international contingent. What's betting been like on the race? Yeah, it's been pretty good. There's been obviously a bit of a, a wide range of prices that have been bet over the, the course of the, well, the lead up to the race over the last 12 months or so. So we took a few decent cracks at some horses which haven't made the field, like Mr. Brightside was well-backed early, Surefire, a few of those. Vow and Declare was backed at 30, at sorry, 50 to 1 we laid it at um, only a few weeks ago. But from our point of view, the biggest go, which, um, you know, when we get to our lay of the day, which could be ominous, I'm, I'm very keen to take it on again. But Smoke and Roman is now the $4.80 favourite with us. And we laid it at 150 to 1 uh, only three weeks ago. So some punters are in some pretty good uh, spots with themselves there. 150 to 1 and $20 the place. Do you do anything to protect yourself there? Is there anything you can do to try and hedge a result like that? Was it a decent go that the punter had on uh, Smoke and Roman's at yeah. 150 to 1? 
We've taken a couple of hundred dollar each way bets there, so they're decent enough early. I'd say come race day, we'll, we will bet past it, but it is it does put you in an awkward spot. Now you're sort of hoping when you lay those runners there that they don't make the field, but uh, yeah, so this punter's in, in with a in with a really good uh, shot. I'm always fascinated by those long big bets. Do you actually have a look at? And I don't want you to uh, break any confidences here, but do you have a look at who's placed the bet and think, ah. Oh, I mean, when we were journalists, you always used to be able to link accounts with people. Do you think, oh, they might have some inside mail? Or is it purely just a bit of form? Oh, I think it's a bit of both. So it's, it's, it's trying to understand where the, the you know, particularly a horse of that price, obviously, will it get into the race is, is the big question mark. And, and obviously, you know, the, the horse came out and had a really good win there last start. So I, I think it's things like that. You obviously profile customers and you profile whether it's just form-based and these sort of things. So um, it's just one of the combinations you have to put in when, you, when you're trying to assess your liabilities. So I suppose hard also because, you know, back in the day you knew who the noms were. The noms chop and change now. Horses, you know, qualify you know get golden tickets and all that sort of stuff and horses can win races overseas to get in there so I suppose the days are probably a little bit before your time Tristan of, of the cups doubles they were so big so big back in mm. the day and yeah. so, something was sort of missed I reckon because they also engendered talk about it and publicity and so forth about both races um, some of the big bets and horses from New Zealand that had been linked up and uh, you know, I think we sort of miss, I reckon, the, uh, the the charm of the old Cups doubles. Talking about another big race on Saturday, we've got the Everest, and, and it always intrigues me the way bookmakers react when a barrier draw is done. Uh, Nature Strip, he, he was a dollar ninety favourite going into uh, the glitz and glamour of last night's barrier draw. He drew the outside. Now, Tristan, did you ease his price on the back of that barrier draw, or did punters just want to come for him now that he's drawn out in a bit of clean air there on Saturday? Well, we, we got it from a dollar ninety out to two dollars, and then as soon as we got it to that even money black figure, bang, the punters came. So we're back into that dollar ninety mark because I was, you know, probably the opinion that it had to ease a little bit. But I think just with the, the weather and that in Sydney, maybe that uh, outside barrier is not going to be the worst spot in the world to be hey. uh, for Nature Strip. We know it's the best horse in the race. So yeah, dollar ninety. Uh, we, we just got a few of the others in the market. Private Eyes firmed up a little bit, fourteen dollars. Mass Crusader there at thirteen. Eduardo at thirteen, and Lost and Running the second pick, but. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly hasn't. Uh, we, we did try to get out the black figures, but the punters stepped in immediately. What would you have done if he had drawn one, which maybe would have been more disadvantageous if he'd drawn one? Would he, he probably would have shortened. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I'd suggest on face value you would have firmed it up and maybe you see a firm now and then maybe drifts on race day. So it's just trying to, like, it's hard to know, but particularly when you sort of want to see how the track's playing. Obviously, we saw there in Sydney last weekend... Uh, the rail was the place to be, so it'll be interesting uh, how it shapes up there with all the weather over the course of the the, the week as well. Turf, I, what do, I, I know you haven't done the form for the race, but help punters out. Is he a dollar ninety shot? I know he's the best sprinter in the world. Uh, is he a dollar? That's a good question. I mean, he, I, I, he, I want to. But while you think about answering that, I, I think he's drawn perfectly with Eduardo to his inside. I've got no issue. It, he'll come across with him, won't he? And then he sits. He's better sitting outside Eduardo than he is in behind. Yeah. I would say even money's probably. Not a bad price because he usually beats them. Yeah, you know, I mean, he might get beat, but he probably he'll probably win. He's getting better, but he's getting yeah yeah he, he can't keep. Well, he's at his best. He's at, at his moment. best, and w- I would say that um, he's probably valued even money. Is he? I, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I don't follow Sydney Ray. I mean, I know obviously we know all the horses, and but I suspect he'll he'll probably beat them again. Well, Tristan uh, Paul. 
spoke about the lay of the day. I wasn't here last week, so I wasn't aware. Well, I did listen to the podcast, of course, but I wasn't really aware of this, uh, the the nature of where the lay of the day had headed because it had been flying um, prior to me having a week off. But straight back on the horse, what are you doing this week? I think you preempted it before. It might be something in the Caulfield Cup. Yeah, no, well, you're right. It has has hit a little bit of a hurdle, a couple of... uh, um, obviously, a couple of runners there. Oh, well, you got beaten got by Paul a couple of weeks ago as well. Yes, yes. Oh, so, no, Paul's two got from the, uh, two, the leading two up from two. Races. But uh, no, we're, we're going to take on Smoke and Romans. We're going to put the favourite in in the big race in the Caulfield Cup. I, I think it was impressive there last start, but I just think it's uh, it's probably probably was uh, at, at advantage there by the way the the track was running that day. I just think at four sixty, where it looks a really open field, and we're certainly going to put it in for our maximum. That's a solid point he makes. I agree. Oh, don't you go and agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the absolute moz. Tristan, it's been outstanding having a chat to you. Great time of year. We uh, wish you all the best for Saturday. Not too much luck, as we always say, because we want the punters to get uh, their fill as well. But look forward to chatting next week. Chat next week, guys. Having a bet on sport this week? Top this. Whether you're into cricket and curling or golf and greyhounds, Top Sport will let you on for plenty. And with literally hundreds of markets from your own backyard to the international stage, Top Sport has you well covered. So if you want to get the top odds every time, bet with Top Sport. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport. Feel the excitement. Don't let the game play you. Stay in control. Gamble responsibly. Now, Turf, before we go, uh-oh. I yeah, reckon uh-oh. one thing that's come across my desk is could there be an, a key re-signing in racing up north of a key executive for another three years? Well, up north, key executive, you can only be talking about one person. I'm not going to name names. We're not talking about RVL, we're talking about PVL. Potentially there's, there's been a lot of interest around the traps um, from other sports, it's just the whispers are growing that potentially um, he could be sticking around in racing. So watch this space. Well, given the, there's Olympics sort of coming up in Brisbane in, uh, what year is that, 2032 or something, rather? Is that right? I would imagine some senior execs, yeah, Gillan McLaughlin types and your BVLs and so forth, would be looking at that prestigious uh, position. You've, you've drawn a huge bridge there, made a, a huge leap from Paul chatting about a, a three-year re-signing to all of a sudden labelling him as... Running the Olympics. Well, he could just about uh, write his own ticket, couldn't he? Oh, he would be telling them what he's expecting to be paid, would he not? Oh, you know, he's got the runs on the board. Uh, probably can't say that around the general manager racing at Racing Victoria. <laughs> oh, don't put your head uh, in your uh, hands no, here. No, no, no. <laughs> look at him. But also one, one more thing. You're before. hamming now. You're, you're so comfortable now in the media. You're hamming. One more thing before we go. 17,000. Uh, Good crowd. At Caulfield on Saturday. And it you could feel it. Pump is heaving. As I left on Saturday to go pick up the kids, the bands were playing the... Why weren't they there? The U... Uh, this, this private turf. Um, <laughs> the, it's, a fair, it's a fair question. Well, well, they're working in the coal mines, aren't they? <laughs> I just want to say, we spoke about a month ago, concerns around would people come back. They're back. 
Caulfield and Melbourne Racing Club should be congratulated. What about turnover, Pythagoras? What was no, that? It was like? outstanding. I think well, Josh Blanksby put it out on uh, his social media handles. Obviously benefited by the fact that Sydney was called off halfway through the day, but uh, it was significantly up year on year, coming off strong COVID numbers where everyone was locked down. I think the might and power benefited from uh, Zaki was a dollar twenty eight, and there's only five horses last year. Yeah. Uh, whereas a better betting race this and the year. The Valley of Soul was strong. The general admission tickets for the Cox Plate. It's uh, See, it's looking a mouth watering race. The Cox Plate now. I mean, I know there's one international, but um, the, there's not much between these. I, I know Animo's sort of dominating, but there's not that much between them. Yeah. You know, you're not going to fall off your chair if I'm Thunderstruck wins or Alligator. Even Mr. Brightside finished off well. On, yeah, surprisingly well. And obviously gets around the valley very well. Yeah. Well, I think last year we saw the Melbourne Cup give us the great narrative of the spring. I reckon this year it's shaping up to be the Cox Plate. And I must say, having spent some time on empty race courses, and, and I remember an Oaks Day I worked uh, a couple of carnivals ago where there was no one on track at Flemington, which just is totally bizarre. It is fantastic to see a big crowd back mm. on course and genuinely seem to be really enjoying it. And, and um, Melbourne Racing Club obviously had some challenges with their development going on, but they uh, reshaped the race course and the viewing areas very well. It's on exciting. Saturday. They were the first club in 2019 to lose a race day because of COVID, the All Star Mile. mile. Yep. Uh, so, you know, they, they didn't lose the race day, they just lost the crowds. Okay, you're going to get technical. Oh. Geez, <laughs> um, you're an executive now. I think it's time to wrap up, Turf. What do you think? Yeah, I've had enough. That was a good three. Presented by Racing.com and Top Sport. 